Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Can you just give him some love? Can you just tell him how much you love him, how much you appreciate him this morning? Amen. I uh, went to get Nathan this morning, and, and uh, we, were, we were talking about the goodness of God this morning, and we were talking about how much we enjoy the presence of God. I mean, how, how many of y'all really enjoy the presence of God? There's nothing like it. There's just sweetness in the presence of the Lord. There's nothing finer. But you know, it just struck me. God inhabits the praises of his people. He enjoys your presence. He loves when we draw near to him and, and we tell him we love him and we love on him. I mean, if those of you who've experienced parenthood know what it's like when your child climbs up in your lap, looks up into your eyes, with their eyes, and they say, Mommy or Daddy, I love you. You know how that makes you feel. You just kind of melt. And I have the same... I have the same suspicion that maybe God is the same way, that he just enjoys you being in his presence when we draw near to him. That's why the Bible says in James chapter 4, draw near to God, humble yourselves therefore unto him, draw near to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. Why is that? Because daddy's near. When daddy's nearby, the enemy can't handle it. He's not going to come and mess with God. I mean, he's, he's bigger than he is. He knows. He's already whooped him real good. He's already taken everything that he has stolen, and, and he's, he's given it back to us. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, for this reason, everybody say, for this reason, the Son of God was manifest. For what reason? To destroy the works of the devil. He was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. That means that he came to undo, outdo, and overdo everything the devil's ever done. The devil's not all that. He thinks he is. He's a liar. He's a liar. And that's how he gets along. He lies. Anybody ever known a, a, just, a, just a, a liar? Someone who's just a continuous liar? That's all they ever do. Well, that's all the devil is. He can never speak the truth. He is the father of lies. So when the devil speaks to you, don't you ever believe it, no matter what he tells you, because it's always a lie. He'll even take the truth and make a lie out of the truth. He'll pervert it, twist it, make it sound like the truth, when indeed it really isn't. And I've heard people say, thus saith the Lord, or God told me to do this, when it's totally contrary to what his word says. And when they tell you that, you know, hey, Come on, you want to slap them? Say, come on, get What are you talking about? God didn't say for you to do that. You took that upon yourself. And you're pulling something out of the scripture to suit your own self. We can pull stuff out of context and make it say whatever we want. It's like one preacher said that, you know, it says in two different places in the Bible. It says Judas went and hanged himself. And in another place, Jesus said, go and do thou likewise. So is that saying that, because Judas wouldn't hang himself and Jesus said, go and do thou likewise, we're to go to hang ourselves. No, I don't think so, right? I don't think so. That has nothing to do with my message this morning, but I thought you ought to hear it anyway. Somebody needed that this morning, okay? 
But we were just, you know, Nathaniel and I were just talking about how much Jesus loves us. And we almost got in an argument about who Jesus loves the most. Because I'm convinced that he loves me more than he loves anybody. Now, you can argue with that all you want. But, as you know, from my perspective, Jesus loves me more than he loves anybody. He's been so good to me. And I, I just want to thank him. And, you know, we are, we're entering into the Advent season. Uh, it, it's funny. It's like every year about this time, we enter into the Advent season. The coming of the Lord. You know, everybody's come thou long, expected Jesus. And, and we, 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 we get religious all of a sudden. Everybody starts going to church services and these kind of things and cantatas and so on and so forth. When we haven't done that throughout the years, just all of a sudden it's Christmas time. So now because it's tradition, we got to do this, you know. But listen to me. The Bible says that his name shall be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. So if his name is Emmanuel and God is with us and is Christ in you, Colossians 1.27, that's the hope of glory. That means he's with you all the time. You know, why all of a sudden at this time of the year do we get religious? I understand we want to celebrate the birth of Christ. Because if there was no birth, there would be no death, there would be no resurrection, and we would be hopeless and lost. Thank God that Jesus came. Thank God that we have something we can celebrate. We can celebrate the Advent. What is the Advent anyway? Well, it's a, it's a coming into place, a view or a being or a rival. Jesus came into place. He came to, as the prophets had foretold, he came just as they said he would. And the funny thing is, he came just as the prophets had said he would, and yet all of those who studied the Scriptures every day, lived, spent their lives memorizing Scripture, missed it. They missed it. They were looking for a Messiah, and some are still looking. Many are still looking for a Messiah, and he's already come. Well, thank God he's coming again. But this time when he comes, every eye shall see him. We'll look upon him. And, 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 and the Bible says that they will gaze upon him that they have pierced. They'll see the one that, that, that they pierced, that they, they put to death on the cross. And they'll, all of a sudden, they'll recognize him as Messiah. Except when he comes this time, he's coming in a totally different way. He came the first time for what? To save us from our sins. He came to give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Thank God he came. Because if he didn't come, we would all be working our best, doing our very best to try to get salvation. I mean, we would be raising cattle and sheep if we could afford it, which in today's economy would be kind of tough. To raise a cattle or a cow or a sheep just so that you could sacrifice it. And that's what we would be doing if it wasn't for Jesus. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no propitiation for our sins. There's no covering for our sins. And we would have to do that. And we would have to do it continually all the time. Because every time we sin, we'd have to run to the priest and do another sacrifice. Which would keep the priest quite busy, by the way. So we would keep a, maybe a covey of doves around just in case we had those little secret sins that we do, you know. And we'd run to the priest and knock out a dove and cover that for a moment until we sin again. They'd have to get another one. And then for the really big sins... For the sins of the family, we take a bull or a goat or a sheep 
And we offer it up once a year, every year. And all it does is cover our sins. But God is not out to cover our sins. God sent Jesus to wash away our sins. He came to remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. To deposit our sins in the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered against us no more. That's what Jesus came to do. He did it. He did it. Blessed is the man whose sins, whose transgressions are forgiven. Psalm 31, 32 and 1. We are blessed, folks. We're blessed because our sins are forgiven. They're covered by the blood of Jesus. They're no more. We are blessed. Jesus did that. That's the reason he came. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us. So, well, you know, when Jesus came the first time, everybody was looking for him, but only a few actually got it. Thank God Peter was one of those. He was a bonehead like most of us. You know, he was one of those guys that was hard to get through to. But remember in, 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 in Mark chapter 6 or, or uh, Matthew 16 where, where Jesus, where, where you know, Jesus is asking the question, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say that you are uh, John the Baptist and some say you're one of the prophets, maybe Elijah. And he says, well, that's what they're saying. What do you say? Who do you say that I am? What was Peter's response? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my spirit, the spirit of my father has revealed this to you. I want to tell you something, folks. Christmas to a lot of folks is just another holiday. It's party time. And we look forward to it. For, for those reasons, you know, it's a time of, of goodwill, peace on earth, goodwill. I mean, I mean, go to the mall and see if that really stands true. I think the word mall has a significant meaning, especially on Black Friday. Because you're going to get mauled at the mall. Forget all that peace and goodwill and stuff. It's only peace and goodwill if you get there first and get what you want and get out. You're real happy. I got the only computer that was on sale for a hundred bucks. Bless your heart, you missed it. I got here at two a.m. What time did you get here? Four. Sorry, we did that one time. One time, we went to the early bird Black Friday specials, and I thought, man, I would pay three times the price of a computer rather than go and put up with all that mess because we, we went at four o'clock in the morning and we got there and it was, it was a Best Buy and there was a line three deep all the way around the store waiting to get in. We got there at four. I think some folks camped out three days before that just to get that computer. Well, that was when computers were real expensive. You know, they're not that expensive anymore because everybody's making them. But anyway, the point is that we've taken the advent and we turned it into something that God never intended for it to be, really. It's not about the commercialism aspect. The gift has already been given. We give gifts as a token of what God has done for us. There's no gift that we could give that could ever match what Jesus has done for us. I mean, there's no way, no way. I mean, we could give a brand new Ferrari and then next year top it with something else better than that. I don't know how you can do it, but next year... 
And still, we haven't matched what Jesus has done for us. It's an insurmountable gift that God has given. That's what this is all about. And it was a coming into place. It was something that was prophesied. And it isn't something that God dreamed up after what happened in the Garden of Eden. You know, well, you know, Satan messed up my plan because I put Adam and Eve in the garden and, and they were there and, and I intended them to live forever and have peace and prosperity and repopulate the earth and all of that stuff. So I put them in this garden with everything they could ever want and they messed it up. Well, it was God's plan. God had a plan. As a matter of fact, you were a part of that plan. Ephesians chapter 1 says that you were part of that plan in verse 14 from the very foundation of the earth. God already knew you. He knew exactly where you were going to be. Nothing in your life catches him by surprise. He's an all-knowing, omniscient God who knows everything there is to know about you. So nothing catches him by surprise. And he knew back then that you were going to need a Savior. And he sent one. That's the reason Jesus came. That's the reason for the Advent. You know, much like today, a lot of people hang their hopes on the Advent. They're looking, they're hoping, they're praying. But just like then, so many people had given up. Now, I'm talking about a second Advent. I'm talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming. And the promise of the Father back then was just like it is today. The Messiah was coming. It was foretold of the prophets. And there were periods of time. Matthew went to great lengths in Matthew chapter 1 to follow the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham all the way to Joseph. Fourteen generations followed it. All the way from Abraham to David, from David to Joseph. His earthly representative father, Joseph was of the lineage of David. So all the prophecies about Jesus, about him being the the son of David, about him being the son of promise was all fulfilled in him. The Bible, you know, uh, I heard someone say that there are 333 prophecies concerning Jesus of his death, burial, and resurrection in the Bible. 333 prophecies. All of those prophecies have been fulfilled except for just a few. And that concerns his second coming. But of the 333 prophecies of Jesus and being so distinctly correct, every one of them, there's no way in the world, it's not mathematically, it's mathematically impossible for him not to be Messiah. You'd have to be someone of great faith to believe that Jesus is not Messiah, that he isn't who he says he is concerning all the things that were said about him that have already come to pass. It's mathematically impossible for for him not to be who he said he was. We know it by faith. And how do we know it? Because of the same reason Peter knew that Jesus was Messiah. It's because the Spirit of God revealed it to you. The Spirit of the Lord revealed it to you. Now, folks, I had knowledge of Jesus when I was a little boy. From the time I could remember. You know, we were seeing Jesus loves me, this I know, and and if we didn't, we get a spanking. I'm just kidding. But we grew up in our household 
praying every meal, praying at night before we went to bed, praying and talking to Jesus and, and knowing about him. And I knew, I knew a lot about Jesus. A lot of things I didn't understand. I, I, I couldn't understand why such a good person would ever have to go to a cross and be crucified. I couldn't understand why people would be so mean to a person that was so good. Why somebody would want to kill him? Until the Spirit of the Lord revealed that the reason that he died on a cross wasn't because of something he did. It's because of something I did. It's because of something you did. It's a thing called sin. And Jesus came to deal with sin. That's what he came for. He was born in a manger and people didn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was. And, 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 and an angel of the Lord appeared to some shepherds and revealed to them that the promise that was, that was made concerning Messiah had been fulfilled and that a baby was born in Bethlehem and they told him exactly where to go and how, what to look for and how to find him. And they went and they found him. And what does it say about them? Their hearts were filled with joy. And I want to tell you something. When I met Jesus, when I truly understand what he had done for me and, and, and accepted and, and believed in him, that's what I experienced above anything else. I experienced joy and I'm still experiencing it. Thank you very much. I have the joy of the Lord because I know my sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. They're all gone. Hallelujah. They're not remembered anymore. So whatever you want to say about me, it's probably all true. It's probably all true. Don Vess, you're nothing but a sinner. Thank you very much. I agree. Don Vess, you're a horrible person. I am. You're not worthy to go to heaven. No, I'm not. But it's not based upon my worth. Not to you anyway. It's based upon my worth to him. How much he values me. How much he values you. Jesus came with a reason. He came with a purpose. And that was to save us from our sins. And, and today, we, we hear about Jesus. There's so much of the gospel being preached. And, and we hear it all the time. It's all around us. And some deliberately choose not to believe it. I don't understand how. Except maybe that the Spirit of the Lord hasn't revealed it to them yet. I don't know. Or maybe the Spirit of the Lord has revealed it. And we're just so stiff-necked. And, and just like the people of old, we reject what has happened and who he is. Jesus, you know, when he, was, when he was a young man, when he had come to that place, when he was about 30 years of age, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He withstood the temptations and he came back. And when he came back, he went to the temple. And when he went to the temple, to the synagogue, as it were, he goes into the synagogue and, 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 and the, the practice was to read scripture in the synagogue and discuss it. You would have the rabbis who, would, who were the teachers who would teach and, and, and they would read scriptures and the, and, the, and the rabbis would elaborate upon it and, and, and everyone would be edified by the scriptures. And most of those scriptures were pertaining to the Messiah that was coming because in their eyes he hadn't come yet. They didn't understand. They were looking for Messiah and who was Messiah? Messiah was the one that was come that would set everything straight. Isaiah talked about him. He says, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. He shall be of the lineage of David, it says. And he says, the virgin shall be born unto you. Well, they understood the lineage part. They understood the David part, but they forgot about the virgin part. They forgot that he would be born of a virgin and where he would be born. And Micah said he would be born in the city of David, which is Bethlehem. 
And so when Jesus was born, they didn't recognize him, even though the prophet said that this is where he would be born and this is how he would be born. He was born of a virgin. The spirit of the Lord moved upon Mary. She gave birth to a child and Joseph wasn't his father. He was only his earthly father. But that's the way he came. And so they missed it because they were looking for a king. And what king is going to allow themselves and who is going to allow a king to be born in a manger, in a stable somewhere? It just doesn't make sense to the natural mind, does it? So we fast forward to today. We're looking for another advent. We're looking for another coming into place. We're looking, looking for another arrival. We're looking for Jesus to come. And, and what are we looking for? Well, you know, many have said, and, and, and we've heard it, and, and since I was a little boy, I've heard these, these prophecies of when Jesus was coming. And I want to tell you, I was one of those, when I got born again in 1977, I was so sure that Jesus was coming that year. I was telling everybody, Jesus is coming. You better get ready. Because I was just so sure. He didn't come in 1977. I'm glad he didn't. Because some of my family members hadn't come to know the Lord yet. And some of your family members hadn't either. And that's the reason why the Bible says that Jesus is delaying his coming. He says that, that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And for this reason, he's delayed his coming so that we can tell others about Jesus and we can pray people into the kingdom of God. That's what God is waiting for. And until that last person whose name is reserved in heaven, until that name is entered into the record, Father won't let Jesus come. Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour of the coming of the Lord, except the Father. Nobody knows the day. Jesus didn't even know. He said, I don't even know when it is, but Father knows, and when that day comes, I'm coming back. So God has given you time, and, and I want to tell you this one. I want to encourage you. Pray, pray for your lost loved ones. Pray that God would bring them in. Pray that they would accept Jesus as the Lord, that the Spirit of the Lord would, would, would reveal himself to them as who he is, and they would respond to the goodness of the Lord. So knowing that Jesus is coming, and I see all kinds of things happening around us. You know, it wasn't until what, about maybe eight, ten years ago that Facebook burst on the scene. How long has it been? Has it been that long? Maybe not. Uh, what did we have before that? MySpace or something like that? Everybody kept invading MySpace, so they developed Facebook. And so now we got Facebook. And, and so you, if you look on Facebook, you got several things that are always happening. Drama, personal dramas being played out on Facebook, you know. And, and, and you got family situations being played on. You got all kinds of things being, but one of the things that's being played out on Facebook all the time is, is people posting things about the second coming of the Lord. It's constant. And that's good. Uh, that's, that's, it's truth. Except some people have tried to put dates and times on the coming of the Lord. We can't really do that. We know the seasons, but we don't know exactly when it is. Here's the thing though. We've got to live our lives as though he's coming back now. I mean, next, next minute, next second, Jesus is coming. Because when he comes, he's not going to, to send you a telegraph. He's not going to put it on Facebook. Hey, I'm coming, sign Jesus. <laughs> he's not one of your Facebook friends. I'm sorry. If somebody said they are, then, 
than, than they're misrepresenting. But he has already promised in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I believe. It's going to happen. Jesus is coming. Boom. Yeah, he's coming. And when he comes, it's going to be that fast. And here's the deal. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says this. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And we understand that in the Old Testament times, there had to be the shedding of blood of bulls and goats and rams and doves and all of these things to temporarily cover our sins. But Jesus came and once and for all, he gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins and it was good enough. It satisfied God. It took care of the sin problem. So Jesus didn't have to come and do what it says in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says that he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That was his, his labor of love. That was his mission that Jesus came for. He did it. All right, it's, it's done. And the shedding of blood has been accomplished. Now, in verse 28, it says, so therefore, when you see the word therefore, you, you, you back up and you look what it's there for, but it says, unto him, unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Unto them who look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin to salvation. He wants us to constantly be looking for him. Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 13, he says, when you see great armies invading Jerusalem, when you see them gathering around Jerusalem, what do we see in today's world? What's happening? This little hot spot in the middle of the world. We see all kinds of great armies amassing themselves around Israel. Why is Israel hated so much? Why does everyone want that little spot? I mean, you look at the world, you look at the entire globe, and you see this one little speck of geography, and the whole world wants it. Why are the Jews hated so much? Because they're God's chosen people. God did that. And we, we are the recipients of God's grace through the people of Israel. Jesus himself being the chief representative. It wasn't, you know, Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was promised that through his son, the earth would be blessed. Through Isaac's seed, Jesus is of the seed of Isaac. He's of the Jewish race. Messiah is Jewish. That's why they're hated so much. What spirit do you think drives that hatred? The spirit of Antichrist. And the spirit of Antichrist is rising higher and higher and higher. If you are a Christian today, you're not one who's patted on the back and applauded. And it's not going to get any better. I want you to understand that. If you are a believer, a true, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled believer, you're not going to be on the top ten list of most popular people. 
You know, years ago, Billy Graham for years, when I was a little boy growing up, Billy Graham every year was at the top of the most admired man in all of America. He's no longer sitting at the top. Why? Because of the spirit of Antichrist. Now, Jesus is coming again. Second Thessalonians bears this out very clearly. It tells what's going to be happening in the last days before the coming of the Lord. What type of spirit that's going to be at work. And he said that in one place that he would send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And so many people are caught up in the lie. They've forgotten the truth of God's word and they've strayed so far away from it that we'll believe anything. We'll accept anything. Humanism has entered into the church and now rules in most churches. Not scriptural truth. Not the authority of the word of God, but humanism. What others think? Political correctness. And I'll say this boldly. I don't have to be politically correct. I don't care to be politically correct. I'm going to be spiritually, scripturally correct. That's the most important thing. Because I will answer to God. I will not answer to those around me. I won't answer to politicians. I won't answer to law enforcement officers. I won't answer to anyone else, not even members of my own family. I will give an account before God on judgment day for the things done in this body, whether good or bad. So therefore, I make a choice that I will align myself with the word of God, not what is blowing in the political winds. It doesn't matter. And I want to tell you something else. God never changes. And Romans chapter 4 says, let God be true and every man a liar. Whatever man says, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, is nothing but a lie that's born and birthed in the pit of hell. Jesus is coming again. We're looking for the second advent. We're looking for his arrival. Are you ready? That's the question I want to ask you this morning. Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? Have you prepared your house? Jesus said in Luke chapter 20, uh, chapter 12, he said that, that if you knew that your house was going to be broken into, what would you do? What would you do? Would you not prepare yourself? Would you not watch and make sure that your house isn't broken into? Wouldn't you? I would. Why, well, somebody sent me a telegraph and said, I'm going to. They don't do that. But if I knew the thief was coming, I'd certainly be waiting on him. He'd have a big surprise. But Jesus said in the same way, the Son of Man is coming. A thief doesn't announce his coming, does he? He doesn't tell you when he's coming. He, he, you, know, he, you, you know that there are thieves out there, and you know you're subject to You know it could happen to you. But no self-respecting thief is going to call you up and tell you that they're coming to get your stuff. They're just not geared that way. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. He's coming in the moment that we don't think that he's coming. He's coming when we think not. He's coming unexpectedly. And so many people are not looking for Messiah. Oh, we're celebrating the Christmas season. 
We're having our parties and everything else, but are we truly looking for him? Are we waiting for him? Are we trusting in him? That's the thing that's most important about Christmas. It's not about the tree. It's not about the presents. It's not about all the festivities. It's about having your heart right with God and understanding that that's the reason Jesus came, so your heart could be right with God. There's no other reason that he came. He came to reconcile us to the Father. Paul said in, in, in 1 Timothy, he, said, he says that, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's what he came for, of whom I am chief. <laughs> Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners, and he came to save lost sinners like me. And I can say the same thing, Paul. I understand what he was saying, that he came to save sinners, not based on our worthiness, but based upon God's worth that he sees in us. He came to seek us out. The Spirit of the Lord is seeking you out. And, and he loves you. And that's the reason you're here today. That's the reason you're here today because God wants you to know you are worth something to him. You're the greatest gift that, that is ever given to him. And he's the greatest gift that was ever given to you. The gift of his son that was given. I don't know why I even make notes. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7 says this, and we hear it all the time, every Christmas year. For unto us a child is born, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. He came into the world to deal with sinners, not the way the world expected him to. The Jews expected him to come and put an end to their oppressors. They expected him to come and deal with the Romans. That's what they were hoping for. But did Jesus do that? No, he let the Romans take him and hang him on a tree bury him in a grave, but he rose victoriously, triumphantly over what they had done to him so that he could take us into the same situation he's in, out of the grave, out of death, into life. He conquered death, hell, and the grave, which is a greater enemy than the Romans ever thought about being. He came. The Jews expected Messiah to put an end to the oppressors, and, 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 and they suffered horribly at the hands of the Romans. A lot of Christians today, all we're waiting for it's for Jesus to come back. And I hear it all the time. Well, this world is so evil. It's so bad. And it is. And I think sometimes the reason it's so evil is so bad is because we're not doing our job. We don't need to be part of the problem. We need to be the solution to the problem. And this gospel shall be preached unto the end of the world as a witness. And then shall the end come. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're to be about our Father's business, knowing that Jesus is coming soon. We need to be doing what God has called us to do, unlike what the Jews were doing in those days. They were going to the temple. They were doing sacrifice. They were doing everything to make sure they were all taken care of. But very few were doing what God had called them to do. But this is the deal. John three sixteen and 17, y'all know it very well. If I quote it in the King James, you can quote it with me. For God so loved the world. Come on, help me out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What does verse 17 say? For he came not into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to spread condemnation and guilt. He came to take care of it. He came to provide a propitiation for our sins, a, a washing away of our sins, to deal with it according legally, legally, so that, so that when our sins are forgiven, Satan doesn't have anything hang around our neck. As it says in 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us of how much of our sin? All, I love that word, all our sin. And if we say we have no sin, if we're so self-righteous that we won't acknowledge our sin, then the Bible says if we say we have no sin, we make ourselves to be what? Liars. And the truth is not in us. But if we're wise and we acknowledge our sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of our sin. So that when he forgives us and cleanses us of our sin, Satan doesn't have anything to condemn us with. We're guiltless. I want to stand before you this morning and say, I'm guiltless. Satan doesn't have anything to hang on me. What? Don Viss, you're a sinner like I am. Yeah? I am. But I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm forgiven. My sins are dealt with. They're to be remembered no more. So that when I confess my sin, he's faithful and just. Y'all believe that? He's faithful and just. So our sins are dealt with. What a gift. What a gift. I can't think of a better gift that anyone can give than to give you that. How blessed you are when your transgressions are forgiven, when your sins are gone, when they're washed away, when they're separated away from you. That means that they're just not there. They're non-existent. So if our sins are non-existent, how much of our sins should we remember? How much of it should we go back to? None. None. We're free. We're free. That's what Jesus gave us. That's the greatest gift God could ever give us. I love it. I love that gift. I bask in the gift that God has given. And you know what? The cool thing is, that's not the end of it. Because not only are our sins forgiven, but we enter into a new relationship with God so that we're not outside the family, we are brought into the family of God and we become his children. And as we become his children, we become joint heirs with Christ Jesus so that everything that's promised to him becomes ours. I like that. So how much belongs to Jesus? Everything. He's placed everything under his feet. So everything belongs to him. So how much belongs to us? Everything. Everything. Whatsoever you have need of when you ask, believe that you receive it. Why? Because it's available. Do you believe it? Do you believe you have whatever you need that God's going to take care of it? Look around you. God knew we needed a place. He took care of it. And if we should ever need another place, he'll take care of that too. Welcome to the house. 
you know, it's, it's just a house. We were here last night and, and uh, uh, Ray, uh, I, I can't even remember Ray's last name, but Ray, who? Murray? Ray? R-E-I Ray? Yeah, Ray Murray. Yeah. He was here working with us last night. He came early yesterday morning and, and we were trying to clean things up, keep the house. You know, we, when you invite guests in, you want the house to be clean. So we're cleaning up. He'd been here all day long. And, and I walked in, I'd been down to Concord or something, getting something. So I came back in and Ray says, man, this is a big house. He said, I didn't realize how big it is till we start cleaning. It is a big house, but thank God. It's a blessing, but God knows what we need. It's not based on what we want. It's what we need. And sometimes he gives us much, much more than that. He gave us so much more than I thought we could ever deserve. And he always does that. It's just the way he is. God is a giving God, and he's given us so much to be thankful for. And we've got zero to complain about. So Merry Christmas. Happy Advent season. Let this be a tune-up. Let this time of the year be a reminder that just as he appeared the first time, he's coming again without sin unto salvation. He promised he was coming, and he came. Many missed it. There are going to be many that will miss Jesus coming this time. They're going to miss it. I hate to say it. There's a great falling away taking place when people have become discouraged for whatever reason or offended or whatever reason they've chosen to absent themselves from the body of Christ and they've just given up on their faith and they've apostatized and they've just, you know, stopped believing in what they once believed in. I don't know why or what would drive someone to do that, but it happens all the time. And the Bible says that in the last days there would be a great falling away before the coming of the Lord. Jesus said that would be one of the signs. So we're living in that time when we see that because of the pressures of life, the cares of life, or whatever, people are falling away, and, and we see it. Don't become one of that number. Stay grounded in the truth of God's Word. Stay devoted to prayer. Pray. Seek the Lord every day, every moment. Live a life of prayer. Pray always, as it says in 1 Thessalonians. Give thanks always. You know, don't stop doing those things. And, and, and stay in fellowship with other believers because we need the strength of one another. You need that body of connection because the, the, every joint in the body supplies the need of the other joint. That's why we need each other. So many times, you know, people will call me, and, and, and it's sad. I've had, had the funeral home to call me and say, Pastor, would you mind doing a funeral for a family because they don't have a church? And I've done many of those funerals, and, and, and it's very, very sad because there's no connection. There's just totally disjointed, and there's just, it's like there's no hope in the situation. And I've done them on the other hand, where, where people have a strong connection with the body of Christ, they're strong believers in the Lord. What a joyous celebration. It's just so different when you have to do those things. I prefer the other, you know, where people really have a devotion to Jesus, and you know, there's no, no doubt where they are. They're in heaven with Jesus, and you know that. That's such a cool thing. But we need that connection. So stay in the Word. Stay devoted to prayer. Stay connected to one another as you look for His appearing, because He is coming soon. And guess what, folks? When He comes, He ain't going to call us out one by one. He's not going to do an exit interview. You know? The Bible says that when he comes, he's going to come with a shout, with the trump of God and the voice of the archangel. And when he comes, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up, how? Together. 
to meet them in the air. And, and so we're going to be with the Lord always. And that's how he's coming back. And he's coming again. And, and he's only going to appear to those who are looking for him. Unto those who look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And if we're looking at him, looking for him, 1 John chapter 3, verses 16, 17, or, or verses 1 through 3, I'm sorry, have this to say. It says that this is the way that God reveals his love for us. See how very much our Father loves us. He calls us his children, and that is what we are. Are you happy about that? That's what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we're God's children because they don't know him. Wow. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we know that we will be like him, for we shall see him as he really is. And in verse 3 is the most important verse out of that whole passage. And it says, And those who have this eager anticipation will keep themselves pure as he is pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you look for him, you'll see him. So I want to encourage you today, keep your eyes focused in the right direction. Know that Christ is coming soon, just as he said he would. And he'll come just at the exact moment that the Father has determined he's coming. Wouldn't it be cool if he just came right now? I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. We could do a rapture drill if you want to. But he's coming. And there's going to be that snatching away, that harpazo. We're going to be gone in a moment and twinkling an eye when he comes. The important thing is to be ready because he's coming like a thief in the night. Don't be like the Jews were when he came the first time and miss it. Who would have thought that the mother of Messiah was walking in their midst? Because the reason they went to Bethlehem was to pay their taxes. Obviously, there were many, many people there because when they got there, there was no room for them in the inn. That's how they ended up in a stable. And the only people who knew that Messiah had come were those that were revealed to by the angelic visitation, the shepherds in the field who were watching over the flock by night. And even when they saw the angels, that says they, they were sore afraid. Well, I looked up that word sore in the Greek and it's the word mega. I mean, they were very scared. When they saw the angels, what would you be? I mean, you're sitting out in the field and counting sheep. You know, that's what you do all the time when you're a shepherd. You count sheep. What else you got to do? Count sheep. Play the harp. Make a flute. Play it. Whatever. I don't know. Use your imagination. But they were doing what shepherds do in the field. Keeping watch over the flock by night when... Suddenly, the angel of the Lord surrounded them. The glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were sore afraid. And then the angel began to speak to them and said, I bring you great tidings, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David in Bethlehem a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
And this is how you will find him. You shall find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You know what swaddling clothes were? They were old rags that were used up. That's all they could find to wrap baby Jesus in. Just old nasty rags. You will find him in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And they went and they found Jesus there. That's how he appeared the first time. But the second time, you know how he's coming? Not as a babe in a manger. He's coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords riding on a white stallion. With a sword drawn, taking vengeance upon his enemies. And we shall accompany him. Thank you very much. I can't wait. Praise God. So Lord, we thank you. We love your appearing. We look forward to it, Lord. We're excited that we live in a day when we know, according to your scriptures, that the coming that you have spoken to us about so much in your word is upon us. Lord, help us to have our hearts ready. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.